0: This episode is brought to you by Fully Gemstones.
1: The zip is a very interesting creation. The idea was born in 1938 at a time where Elsa Schiaparelli was using the zip in fashion. At that time, the Maison's artistic director was Renée Puissant. She was the daughter of the founding couple. And she decided to create a jewel inspired by the zip fastener, which was quite bold. You know, it was this element that was beautiful.
0: utilitarian. It was Absolutely. useful, but not remotely beautiful or decorative.
1: And it t- took over 12 years to the Maison to actually create it because it was so complex uh, in its technology. Welcome to If Jewels Could Talk.
0: I'm Carol Walton, the voice of jewellery, an author, broadcaster, and the woman who initiated the role of jewellery editor at magazines like Tatler and British Vogue. This is a podcast for everyone, for people who do like jewellery, for people who don't realise they like jewellery, and anyone intrigued by fascinating facts, new ideas and forgotten histories. So please join me as I tell sparkly tales meeting all sorts of people delving into four centuries of jewellery culture and investigate what's happening now. Today, we are talking about the French Maison, Van Cleef and Arpels. There have been two important moments recently. The first was about 10 days ago when the Queen Consort was signing the Declaration of Accession with her husband, King Charles III, and on her wrist as she signed was a lapis lazuli Alhambra bracelet by Van Cleef. We all know that King Charles is very passionate about architecture, and the Alhambra is a symbol that you see... It's sort of like the four-leaf clover symbol that you see on Gothic and Renaissance and Islamic architecture. The second thing we're celebrating is the opening of a new exhibition on the art of movement, their first standalone exhibition in London at the Design Museum. So please join me in the Design Museum. So in 1895, um, when Estelle Arpels married Alfred Van Cleef, the celebrated high jewellery Maison Van Cleef & Arpels established itself and very quickly established its reputation across the world, Um, not only as um, a world of beauty, but also harmony. And when I think of the brand of Van Cleef & Arpels, I think of something of absolute beauty and showing things of the spirit of things rather than reality. So roses, Never have thorns, birds don't have claws, dancers never get tired. But today we are talking on the eve of their first solo exhibition in London about the specific bond of Van Cleef & Arpels with the art of movement. So I'm delighted to have Lise MacDonald, Van Cleef & Arpels Director of Patrimony and Exhibitions, who um, has just guided me through the exhibition, which opens tomorrow, and is going to tell me more about, Cleef, the history and this specific link with movement.
1: Thank you so much. Yes, indeed. We wanted to uh, look at this angle of the movement in our creations since the Maison's foundation uh, Place Vendôme in 1906 until more recent creations, and uh, obviously it's a very wide uh, topic, so when we thought about how can we convey this idea of the movement through uh, one over a hundred years creation, we looked at it from a thematical approach and therefore we've organized this exhibition like a stroll across different thematics such as nature, um, couture, dance obviously and more abstract movements. Indeed, this notion of um, kinetism, of movement, is uh, very present in all the creations of the Maison, whether it's a flight of a bird uh, that is captured in uh, its full um, uh, dynamism, or a, a fleeting moment of a composition of flowers, where you really see that a sense of eternity has been given in this composition. So um, this exhibition is quite uh, interesting in the way that these time elements are merged together in different uh, decades. So a showcase can represent pieces from the 1920s as well as the 1980s, uh, 90s or even 50s all together. And we've looked at it from a very specific angle such as bouquets or cords or bows or um, the influence of uh, modernism. And so we, we really wanted to convey to the audience in the UK and in London in particular, uh, this uh, very wide array of uh, expressions around this notion of movement.
0: I think when people listen and they hear, hear the word cord and they're thinking of gold and stones and these, the hardest materials known to man, like diamonds, they must find it very hard to imagine how that moves. I was really interested to know from you, Lise, why movement so important in a jewel? Why do Van Cleef have to inject the sense of movement? What's important about it?
1: Well, when you look at jewellery, obviously, uh, as you well said, it's a, um, a medium that looks at hard stones and very complex materials to, to work on. It's a bit like a sculpture. How do you convey... Um, this uh, idea of uh, animation, of being alive in a composition. And I think that's the quest of the Maison since its foundation, is to give uh, life, to bring uh, an element of poetry, an element of, of, um, uh, of beauty that is eternal. And movement does capture that. So it's translated in different ways, whether it's uh, through the interplay of materials... Uh, colored gemstones, uh, the way the gold is worked, um, it's also um, added with the, uh, the way the light um, shines on the, the stones and the composition, how the light is captured, and finally I would say how the uh, play of composition, uh, the use of asymmetry, will provide this, uh, this movement. It's a bit like in music, you know you have moments of uh, silence and moments of uh, uh, of play where you can see the different you can hear the different uh, instruments all play together well it's the same thing in in art and in composition in visual compositions and it it does provide that dynamism and a uh, a sense of uh, being alive It's extremely complex to do it requires um, Agility, it requires knowledge, craftsmanship, um, and also an artistic eye to be able to uh, say that, OK, this composition, I will make it um, asymmetrical. I will play with the, the fact that the center is decentered And by just doing this little twist, mm-hmm. you create life.
0: Because it's amazing that the mystery setting, which Van Cleef and Arpels really transformed 20th century jewelry setting, taking out as much visible metal as possible in channels of coloured stones, that, for instance, to me, has always looked like a river. It's like a river of stones with a sort of velvety texture. So... In some way, although it's a channel of stones, it does appear to move.
1: Absolutely. The mystery set was actually patented by the Maison in 1933. It's a technique where um, the no prongs are visible, so you, the setting is uh, appears like uh, mysterious, hence the name mystery set. Um, it also is a play with the coloured stones, so often it's done in rubies, Um, But you can also find some mystery set in sapphire and more rarely in emerald because the emerald is a stone that is uh, very hard to work, it can break very easily. Mystery set stones are cut uh, on the side uh, extremely thinly, uh, less than two tenths of a millimeter. So you can imagine how easily it can break the stone. Only a handful uh, people know how to master this technique, and really Van Cleffenarpos is the maison who has uh, patented, created this technique and continues to do it until today in contemporary creations. The light, the way the light um, reflects on mystery set, as you well say it, is really like a flow of water or a uh, velvety aspect. Uh, to the composition, which gives depth, which gives um, emotion, which brings poetry to a composition where nobody knows, when you don't know the technique, how actually it is uh, made.
0: And it's very weird to say, use that word emotion, but it does happen. And actually just viewing the exhibition, coming to the first showcase with mystery-set sapphires, there's a bellflower and a chestnut leaf. And they just get to you. You look at them and it actually does really evoke an emotion and I don't know why but jewelry can do that. I don't think it's just me. I think there are plenty of other people
1: who feel that when they see something like that and it just touches them in some way. It's interesting you mentioned the the bellflower because I, I have to agree with you. I think this composition is extremely interesting in the way the 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 jewelers have selected the way the stones would be cut and positioned in uh, those two flowers. When you look at it, um, you have the inside of the flower and the outside of the flower that is exactly reproduced the reversed way on the other flower next to it. So you have this notion of depth, this notion of uh, of, uh, perspective that is given just by the interplay of the color combination that is uh, transformed from one flower to another and that gives an unexpected composition you know you would think that the inside would be exactly the same on the two flowers yet it's not and i think that by looking at that when you when you really focus on the piece and you you let your imagination and you let your just your eye look at the composition you realize that it's uh, extremely uh, poetic beautiful elegant and it does make you dream so
0: when we're talking about movement we have to talk about the fairies and the dancers who all appear to be moving and I have to say urge anyone if they can get to London and have a look because actually in this exhibition they do all dance and move and you can't see how, it's a rather magical experience. So the the celebrated dancers date back to about the 1920s don't they? Louis Arpels had a great love of dance. Can you tell us a bit about that moment and how that happened?
1: So the, the love of the uh, Arpels family for dance, uh, in fact, yes, starts uh, straight from the foundation of the maison. Um, the 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 founding couple and uh, um, the whole family that set up Van Cleef and Arpels was very much. Uh, infatuated by dance and the arts in general. So yes, Louis Arpels, uh, the brother of uh, Estelle Arpels, was a great lover of ballet, and he would go to the Paris Opera and ballet, watch ballets uh, all the time. The creations of ballerinas, such as fairies, uh, started slightly later, at the beginning of the 1940s, so really in the middle of the Second World War, um, those two figures, feminine figures, appeared in a period of uproar, of complexity, of very tense times, and uh, Van Cleef and Arpels created those two feminine figures um, as positive visions of life. So they really came, um, you know, to set their glitters upon us. Mm-hmm. In the exhibition, we have selected uh, original drawings as well from our archives, and you can see three very uh, beautiful drawings of uh, fairies. Uh, that fly in in the sky and that uh, show how the maison has uh, studied and developed these uh, compositions around uh, femininity um, and uh, and fairies in particular. Dance is also a very important source of inspiration. Since, as I said, the 1940s until today, we continue to make uh, uh, ballerinas in our high jewelry workshops. Dance is a continuous field of uh, inspiration and in fact we think that Van Arpels has done uh, ballerinas just linked to classical ballet but uh, n- it's not really true we also have done uh, ballerinas and dances that are inspired by Asian dances for example in the archives mm-hmm. we have uh, Cambodian dancers in the exhibition you have a Balinese dancer as well and uh, even boogie woogie or jazz French can, can, absolutely. So all dance expressions are part of uh, uh, the inspirations of the maison.
0: I suppose the movement comes partly through the positions of the dancers. They're either holding their dress, they're pirouetting. There's a sort of volume through the skirts that they're lifting. And each one seems to be in a very different position
1: completely it's uh, all that together that gives the movement it's uh, first of all when you look at the ballerina's body from the 1940s 50s 60s the the body is made like a little line the arms and the uh, legs are very stylized Yet the tutus can be uh, represented in so many different ways, whether it's a work of gold, whether it's uh, interpretations of lace, whether it's uh, colored stones that are uh, put together, and you have often the inside of the tutu and the outside that are two different stones. So it gives also the idea of the volume of the perspective. Uh, Ballerinas are represented mainly in clips, so, you have to imagine a, a lady wearing the clip. it It can't be like a sculpture. it can't be you can't turn around even though the back of the clip is treated equally with equal attention as the front. but it's still a, a piece that you see from the front or the side, but not from the back. So you have to give this notion of of the volume. So how do you do that? And this is where the work of uh, of gemstones, of uh, uh, gem uh, setting. Uh, cutting as well as the jewellery all play a a very important role. And the realistic stance. So how does that happen? Do some of the designers go to the ballet? Do they draw dances in in motion? We have in the archives absolutely studies of uh, nude dancers, uh, in their different uh, positions where you really see the anatomy. Uh, but that's how... so
0: interesting because you start with the naked form and then you dress her with
1: gemstones. And then you also go away from the naked form and you go to more a more stylized, idealized representation of the dancer. There is one piece in the patrimonial collection that is uh, a representation of a ballerina. It's actually Susan Farrell, who was uh, the muse of Balanchine with whom the Maison has a, an important connection. And we've uh, made a um, representation of this ballerina in 1967 when she was uh, dancing uh, the ballet uh, Jewels of Balanchine. And she was actually dancing, performing in the third act on uh, Tchaikovsky uh, music, the act that is focusing on diamonds. Mm-hmm. And so we've represented her in gold with a tutu of, um, of diamonds. And this is the only representation of a ballerina from the patrimonial collection where you can see the body that is represented more accurately. You really have an anatomy. When you look at the shoe, for example, uh, you can see the tension and little um, pleats on the back of the shoe where you can see the weight uh, and the tension of the body. In the other ballerinas, they are the body is stylized. The head is represented by Often a rose cut diamond, and it's interesting to see how this shape of a uh, of a gem actually can reflect the face of a uh, ballerina. It's almost like the face is tilted up,
0: sort of looking up to the to the seats above around the balcony. It's almost like she's absolutely she's looking at
1: her audience. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, jewels. You, you talked about Georges Balanchine. The um, famous choreographer, co-founder of the um, New York City Ballet, and he had a very close relationship with Claude Arpels. Yes. And was it Claude Arpels who suggested he created a ballet around jewellery?
1: The relationship um, between Claude Arpels and Balanchine was uh, born uh, after the Second World War. It is the violinist uh, Nathan Milstein that introduced Mm -hmm. them. And from their friendship and mutual admiration, the ballet was born jewels. So a ballet in three acts, looking at three different gemstones, uh, rubies, emeralds and diamonds uh, on three different uh, music. So the, the, this ballet was really the, the encounter of uh, those two creators, one in the world of jewellery, the other one in the world of dance.
0: And Balanchine, I think, said... The ballet has nothing to do with jewels. The dancers are just dressed like jewels, so they were dressed to look like emeralds, rubies, diamonds.
1: It is. It is a ballet that looks at stones, at gems. It is, mm. and of course, the world of jewelry has uh, its link to that. But it is a ballet that looks at gemstones. So, do you
0: think he was recreating visually the ballerinas of antique
1: ballerinos? We have no records that Mm -hmm. say that, and I'm not sure that was uh, the uh, real interpretation, that there must have been an emulation between Balanchine and uh, Claude Arpels and Van Cleffen Arpels, more uh, generally, that's that's for sure. However, it is not a retranscription of the uh, ballerinas into ballet. It's really looking at stones, at gemstones, and an interpretation of... Balanchine of uh, those uh, three gemstones. Now Balanchine came to uh, see the jewels of the Maison repeatedly. We have photographs of him looking at jewels in uh, our shop uh, uh, Place Vendôme and uh, as well as uh, New York where uh, he would come and look at uh, jewelry. We also have photographs in the archives showcasing Susan Farrell wearing some of the jewels. But it's a ballet that, that looks at gems more broadly. We have examples of uh, ballerinas that are joined together a bit like a core of ballet that uh, creates this uh, swirling uh, composition that is really linked to traditional uh, ballet, classical ballet. In fact, uh, one of the pieces of uh, Van Cleef & Arpels uh, showcases a swirl of ballerinas as seen from above. So you can see the tutu that is uh, deployed around the body of the ballerina. And that as you go, as the the necklace unfolds on the back of the necklace, the composition becomes more and more abstract and transforms into a vortex. So this notion of movement that you can see from the top uh, swirls around the neck and finishes into this abstract stylization of a tutu.
0: And Nicolas Beau, the chief executive of Van Cleef & Arpels, has a great interest in dance,
1: doesn't he? Totally. The Maison has this uh, very strong link uh, with dance uh, from the 1940s because of the creations of the first ballerinas until the collaboration with Balanchine and uh, more recently with Benjamin Milpied, uh, who was the founder of the LA Dance Project and the former director of uh, the Paris Opera. And uh, very recently in London, uh, Van Cleef launched uh, Dance Reflection, which uh, supports contemporary dance. And uh, in March in London, where the many uh, dance, uh, contemporary dance uh, representations uh, were given uh, here. So yes, the the link between the Maison and dance is uh, extremely rich, important, and wide.
0: So that's that's also some way that people I I imagine working in the design studio might have inspiration, because I guess with Nicola sometimes they might be attending a dance class or attending the ballet and, and seeing this all in motion.
1: The, the studio mm. and uh, artists, I would say in general, get inspired by everything they see. Mm. So definitely dance and going to the ballet mm. and looking also at contemporary dance and studying the, the body and the movement of the body. Uh, will be a very deep source of inspiration.
0: So Benjamin Miliapi is married to Natalie Portman, who performed in the 2010 film Black Swan, and that gave a sort of sharper, more dramatic edge to the ballet scene. And I wonder, do you notice sometimes with the Van Cleef ballerinas, do they become more modern over time? Are
1: they given modern interpretations? The creations of the Maison are always anchored in the spirit of a time. Uh, It can uh, also detach from the spirit of that time and be in the avant-garde, which has been uh, many times the case for Van Cleef & Abels. It is uh, clear that the contemporary ballerina have a different treatment as the uh, ancient, the more uh, older ballerinas of the 1950s or 40s, uh, for sure especially, I would say, in the way the anatomy is uh, represented. However, the source of inspiration remains the patrimony, and uh, that's the beauty, you know, of of this maison, is to look at the past and create a new interpretation anchored in the spirit of a time, and uh, yet always linking it back to the past. But the
0: ballerinas still don't get sore feet. (laughs)
1: <laughs> they, they no they're they're ethereal, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in the exhibition we've made them uh, magically float so they, yeah.
0: they look absolutely beautiful <laughs> they really do it's very magical um and I thought the other thing that really um really captures your imagination is the idea of couture in jewels and and indeed the exhibition starts basically with with the idea of a, a long ribbon taking you through the exhibition yes we've
1: worked with a designer, Jean-Baptiste Auvray from uh, Agence Fer, and we've uh, decided to start the exhibition with an anamorphosis of one of the pieces on display in the show, which is a uh, silhouette clip. A very interesting piece from uh, 1937, which is a hybridation between a bow and a flower. So, couture themes have been uh, very important uh, sources of inspirations, Lace, uh, ribbons, uh, fabrics have uh, always been um, deep inspirations for the Maison. The exhibition focuses on certain representations of couture. Uh, We have selected, for example, the famous uh, zip necklace, which is uh, one of the masterpieces of the patrimonial collection. The zip uh, is a very interesting uh, creation. The idea was born um, in uh, 1938, um, at a time where Elsa Schiaparelli was using the zip in uh, fashion, which was extremely uh, rare at the time because uh, zip fasteners were used at the end of the 19th century. Um, in uh, the, It was created in the United States, and it wasn't used in bags. It was used on uh, suits of workers. Like aviator jackets. And, Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And uh, Elsa Schiaparelli made the first move to integrate uh, the zip into um, an element uh, like um, decoration, practical uh, elements of uh, fashion. At that time, the Maison's artistic director was Renée Puissant. She was the daughter of the founding couple. And she was a a lady with a very strong sense of creativity. And she was... uh, very daring and she really uh, was at the heart of uh, modernism and she um, decided to uh, create a jewel based uh, inspired by the zip fastener which was quite bold you know it was yeah this element that was
0: utilitarian it was useful but not remotely beautiful or decorative
1: absolutely not uh, beautiful and it to took over 12 years to the Maison to actually create it because it was so complex uh, in its technology. And how, how involved was the Duchess of Windsor in this? Because there
0: is the story that she was involved, inspired, or...
1: Yes, this is what the story says. We have no uh, proof in the archive saying so, but orally the tradition says that it would have been the Duchess of Windsor uh, saying to um, René Puissant uh, to look at the zip fastener and to to give her the idea of creating this uh, necklace. Because they were great clients. They the were. The Duke and Duchess. Yes, absolutely. She had a wonderful collection of uh, jewellery, not just Van Cleef & Arpels, uh, and she had uh, several pieces from uh, Van Cleef mm-hmm. & Arpels, but she never had a zip uh, fast, uh, zip So uh,
0: it's, it's unlikely then, isn't it, that she was... We don't know. Because if she was so involved and interested, she would have bought one, surely. We don't know. So Rene
1: Puisson perfected this art of engineering, really, to make the zip. Zip. So it's the it's the studio and uh, the jewelleress that did. She patented. We the maison patented the uh, the zip fastener in 1938, Mm -hmm. and the very first uh, zip appeared in 1950. And uh, you have uh, examples on display. Uh, of uh, 1952 so very very uh, early creations of the zip the zip is um, a piece of jewelry that is also versatile it can transform and be worn um, as a necklace or as a bracelet and always has a tassel it has tassel is the pearl yes it has a tassel and uh, the the way the tassel is uh Interpreted and uh, and made uh, is uh, of course a variation of drawings. So every zip is a unique piece, and um, yes, it's it's uh, it requires uh, a lot of skill uh, to to make them. And we continue to to make a zip uh, today in our high jewelry workshop, Plasmondo.
0: Uh, there's a very early example of a tassel, a 1925 bracelet. Yeah, there was a
1: very early tassel with diamonds. Yes. Yes, this is a lovely piece. We have two on display, and it's uh, really it's a, it's a stunning composition because you can see the movement on the tassel because it's uh, completely articulated. Uh, the two bracelet one is in platinum, diamond, and uh, rubies, and the other one is uh, using um, emeralds. Um, it's a typical work from the twenties, the Roaring Twenties, uh, where you can see this fluidity. Um, the uh, reference to draperies to uh, cloth to uh, passementerie, trimmings, fabrics, um, all these elements were very, very um, appreciated um, at that time and continued uh, across the decades. And so yes there are there are lovely examples. What's uh, very sweet in this showcase is that you can see uh, this, uh, These two bracelets from the roaring 20s and just next to them you have a a composition from the 1990s looking at how fabric has been uh, reinterpreted into gold. And it's interesting to see how this thematic of couture uh, has been relevant throughout decades and treated in such different ways and with different sources of inspiration, whether it's trimming or whether it's uh, um, a scarf that is uh, reinterpreted into jewellery.
0: And do you think some of that... Uh, treating it in different ways. Part of that is um, interpreting the way women live and how they've always lived and showing those changes.
1: Jewelry is uh, linked to the spirit of the time to uh, obviously uh, to to fashion. Um, you wear jewelry on the body, and so uh, the time you live in has a deep impact on how the jewelry is going to be uh, to be made. Um, obviously, if you cover your ears, the earrings will disappear. Uh, if you uh, if if in the 1990s in this example of the of the scarf uh, necklace you could see that you know the the fashion of the ladies at the time was um, you know uh, wearing jackets and with very uh, strict lines and uh, um, the jewels started to shorten and to be closer to the neck and so it accompanies the the look of, uh, of the fashion of the, and the accessories will, will follow that trend or work together with uh, that trend. So obviously there is a link between, uh, yes, between the trends, between the, the period and uh, the evolution also of taste and of, uh, of arts in general, not just decorative arts or, or fashion, but arts in general.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you can see links between jewelry um, and for example, uh, furniture making. Or even uh, fine arts. It's all one, you know. It's all um, a systemic approach of uh, of a time, which is very hard to analyze when you're in your own time. That's why it's only in
0: retrospect that you see it.
1: That's why we look at the past and we we stop when it's too contemporary, because then it's another it's another thing.
0: Well, I think it's amazing with such a rich archive that you can look at those moments. Because I was. I was reading that one of the um, earliest Van Cleef & Arpels objets was a bell push for the butler made in 1908, and I think when you look at that, and then you look at the helamra that was created at the time of um, student riots in the 1960s and women wanting more liberation, more independence. It's so interesting that you have that documented in jewelry.
1: Yes, completely. the The maison has uh, done jewelry, uh, high jewelry pieces, watches as well, and objects. and uh, And indeed, the the very first one of the very first objects that we've created is um, the Varuna boat, and it's a, um, a beautiful object of art. Uh, it's the exact uh, copy of a, a yacht that uh, belonged to Eugene Higgins. Um, and you can see this boat that is made of gold and enamel that is uh, sailing on a sea of jasper. And uh, it was uh, an object, a decorative object, that was uh, put on a table, and uh, you have indeed the uh, bell of a butler that is hidden on the top of the of one of the chimneys of, of the boat. But you can see this evolution of... Uh, interpretations going from you know objects of art to more uh, uh, precious objects to accessories to jewelry high jewelry and of course uh, watches as well throughout the decades and the centuries yeah hmm. that evolves. not much call for the butler Bell push these days so. <laughs> Nope,
0: <laughs> it's different <laughs> then of course we've had a huge Alambra moment in the UK over the last um, week because the new queen consort Signed all the documents of accession with King Charles III, close-ups everywhere of her Alhambra bracelet on her wrist. Um, She's quite devoted to that motif, isn't she?
1: Apparently so, yes. I mean, it's amazing. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, it's a motif that was created in 1968. Uh, So, yes, it was a moment where... um, uh, the, the jewels were uh, very long. You could wear very long pendants or sautoir And uh, the alhambra is a motif of uh, a clover, and it's a symbol of uh, luck. Mm-hmm. So we've uh, continued until today to, to develop this um, this uh, iconic mm-hmm. uh, piece of enclave and apples. So it must be... Um it, the luck must mean something to
0: King Charles and Queen Camilla. That's great. So I hope she keeps it on her wrist because they need luck going forward. <laughs> actually, so um, we're very happy that she'll have that clamped to her wrist as her sort of lucky four leaf clover. And I think it's um it seems to be a symbol too, a sort of continuity. And um, and that's a very positive message
1: as well. Yeah, the the, the topic of uh, luck has been uh, present since uh, the very beginning of the maison. In fact, in the 1910s and 20s, we've uh, made some uh, jewels co- that are made of wood, and you know, touchwood is a uh, an act of uh, you know bringing luck. So we've also had a sentence uh, in some of our creations saying uh, to. Um, have luck you have to believe in luck Um, and so yes the clover is definitely one also of the sources of uh, references to to luck there are roughly 90 pieces in the exhibition so the exhibition showcases nearly 100 pieces um, original uh, from the patrimonial collection as well as uh, private loans and uh, original drawings we have nearly 30 drawings from our archives that accompany uh, the exhibition. So you can see other uh, references or um, the creative process behind uh, uh, the jewellery.
0: And how important do you think it is for a brand to have something like we're talking about movement and the ballerinas? How important is it for a brand to have that recognisable symbol or motif in their history?
1: Well... For Van Cleef and Arpels, the patrimony and the different sources of inspiration, as you can see in the exhibition, um, are uh, constant and continuously uh, reinterpreted across uh, time. So every creation that we make today will always start from the patrimonial perspective, not to copy it, Mm. not to, uh, to do the same as in the past. On the contrary to know your past, to know who you are, to know what your predecessors have done in order to freely reinterpret and recreate the creations of today. So the patrimony is here to anchor, to nurture, to share, to educate, and to to bring an understanding, um, of course, to our audience more broadly through exhibitions, but to our design studio and our workshop internally to create the creations of tomorrow so the heritage is everything the heritage is the core and i think this is why you can see some common threads throughout time it's because the maison has consistently referred to its past in order to create today jewels are are part of of uh, of art you know they are creations that are that are artistic creations. That's the that's the purpose to show that. And I think the show does show. I mean, I hope you you agree. But uh, that's really what we try to well, to it's share.
0: Really shining a light on the design, as you say, because yeah. how do you get that movement into a piece? You have to think about the design and the use of it, and and the volume and the shape and the form, and, and almost make the ballerina skirts below make them move with them. Yeah. Um, and it gives a
1: sense of eternity as well. How do you capture this uh, fleeting moment? And Because that's what's striking when you look at the pieces. You think, you know, they're, they're still. They're made of metals. They're made of stones. Very hard, very difficult to work. And yet, when you look at them, they're alive. They are alive. And they are like fabric. They are. They're like fabric. It's amazing. It's really
0: amazing. Oh, thank Thanks. you so much, Lise, for talking us through the exhibition
1: and um, opening up the doors to the Place Vendôme, Thank you for our It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes of If Jewels Could Talk, please go to our website, carolwalton.com slash podcasts. And if you enjoyed it, share it any way that you can please subscribe to the podcast feed and leave us a rating or a comment. We'll be back soon. We've just come to the end of the third season and we're back with a fantastic range of episodes. We'll be talking about the life of the world's greatest female jeweller, a life and work. We'll be talking about a fantastic collection created around one of the world's greatest rock stars. We'll be talking about the psychology of jewellery and desire. We'll be talking about big diamonds. We'll be talking about fashion and what's happening now. So please join us again. We'll keep you posted as to when we're back. And in the meantime, let us know any subjects that you would like to hear about. Thanks for joining us and for listening. Goodbye. If Jules Could Talk with Carol Walton is produced by Natasha Cowan, music and editing by Tim Thornton, graphics by Scott Bentley, illustration by Geordie Labander, and you can find me on Instagram at Carol carolwalton.